Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you, whether you're with us in person or online. I missed being with you all last week, but had a great trip with our sending church in North Carolina. They send their greetings and blessings and love to all of you. Uh, really thankful for my friend and coach in ministry, Wes Hughes, for stepping in and filling in for us last week. Uh, if you are new with us, my name is Matt Boyd. I'm the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church, and we are glad wherever you are, whether you're tuning in from somewhere else in the country or the world, or whether you're visiting for the first time in person, that you are with us this week. The 2002 movie, Catch Me If You Can, tells the story, really kind of extraordinary story, of Frank Abengill, who was at one time the most famous con artist of um, in the world. The movie tells of the story of Abengill, who is uh, acted by Leonardo DiCaprio. He actually impersonates eight different um, identities, most notably a Pan-American um, World Airways pilot, a physician, a U.S. attorney, and a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent. After getting caught, he escaped police custody twice, once from a taxing airline and once from a U.S. federal prison. He was eventually arrested and he spent five years in prison before starting to work for the federal government. His story is an excellent reminder. If you haven't seen the movie, go back and, and watch it. I'm actually going to rewatch it myself just because of, of this story. But uh, his story is a great reminder for us to always be on our alert, to always be on guard, because someone can tell you what they are. Someone can put on an outfit and pretend they're something. Someone can use eloquent speech and they can look at it like they're one thing on the outside. But on the inside, they're nothing more than a fraud. And that was the story of Frank Abengill. In today's text, Jesus is going to warn us about frauds. What the Bible refers to as false prophets. And far too many of us think that just because we've prayed a prayer to receive Christ one time in our lives that that we aren't prone, that we aren't susceptible to listen and to believe false prophets. But far too many people fall into the lies. Far too many people fall into the, the traps of false teaching. So there's two parts to this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. I was going to cover them all today, but I decided to actually split this into two sermons. So this week is part one of this sermon, and then next week we'll get part two. Part one is going to focus us on the deceiver. That's going to be verses 15 through 20 in Matthew chapter 7. And then next week, part two focuses on the deceived. And so this will be a two-part sermon. We'll see part one this week, part two next week, and hopefully I'll be able to tie those two together for clarity for us. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter seven. We'll be in verse 15, and then we'll get started here in just a minute. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the word. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for another day that we can gather together as your body. God, whether we're online, whether we're in person, God, whether we're watching this at a later time, that we are your church. God, we wanna follow you. We wanna follow your word. We wanna follow your truth. God, we know that scripture tells us there's many false teachers. They will come like ravenous wolves. They'll, they'll be in sheep's clothing, but they're nothing but wolves. God, we know that it's prone, prevalent in the Old Testament. It's prevalent in the New Testament. God, it's prevalent today. And so we ask that this truth would penetrate our hearts and our lives. And God, that we would be mindful of how it is we discern the teaching uh, between truth and false. It's in your name, by your power, Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. Matthew 7, verse 15. I'm going to read all the way through verse 23, even though we're only covering through verse 20 this morning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Pretty heavy text this morning. And so once again, our focus today is verses 15 through 20. We're going to look at the deceiver. And this section is marked by, we're first going to be warned by, about false prophets, that they're all for our, our false prophets. We're going to description of how we recognize those false prophets. And then we're actually going to get a, a method of how we detect when we have false prophets in our midst. Jesus is going to use two illustrative analogies. And then he'll summarize in verse 20 by how it is that we can recognize a true prophet, which is by their fruit. So it's interesting to me as I was studying this week that nearly every New Testament book deals with false teaching. Some entirely are devoted to false teachers. And so what that means is that this is a prevalent theme all throughout the New Testament. Now, why is that? Well, for starters, there is such a thing as truth and error, sound and false doctrine. Now, when I use the word doctrine, that might be confusing to some and some of, some of you might think of one thing and some of you might think of another. And so just a simple definition of doctrine is the big the word that we use for the big theological themes that we see throughout the storyline of Scripture. And so if you're ever curious about what, what is the doctrine that Sojourn believes, it's right on our website. If you go to the tab, you find about, and then you go to a tab that says beliefs, and that'll take you to the doctrine of Sojourn, which, by the way, this is not some doctrine that we came up with on our own. We are in alignment and agreement with the New Testament church, and so we get it right from Scripture and with the apostles' teaching, uh, which is which is kind of really what you want, right? So this should be that uh, there's there's different second and third level issues that churches might disagree on, and there's and there's room for that. But these are kind of the when you say doctrine, these are the core essential truths that all Christians everywhere for all time should agree upon. Now in our text this morning, what we're going to see is three different things in regards to false prophets and teaching. These things come from Jesus. We see that Jesus is going to have his assumptions that he's going to give us. Jesus is going to give us his warnings about these false prophets. And then Jesus is actually going to give us a test and how it is that we discern if someone is a false prophet or a true prophet. So first we see Jesus' assumptions. By telling us to beware of false prophets, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's basically assuming or he knows that they're out there. And so he's saying, I'm not just warning you about a hypothetical situation. I'm warning you because this is reality and I know that they are out there. Now, we come across false prophets numerous times in the Old Testament, and Jesus seems to have regarded the Pharisees and Sadducees in line in the same light as these false prophets. He also implied they would increase, that there would be a a period preceding the end of time characterized by a spread of worldwide false teachings, and that these false teachings and these false teachers would lead many astray. That should give us a moment to pause to say, I've heard this conversation with many of you. Many, or, or many people, rather, who would say, man, why, why are people believing these, these myths? Or why are people believing these things? This, this is not true. This isn't reality. 
we are told in Scripture. And so while it's, it's, it's concerning, while it's disheartening, it should not surprise us because Jesus himself told us that this would be the case before the end of time. And then we, we hear of false teachings in nearly every New Testament letter. They're typically called um, pseudo-prophets or, you know, they're, they're prophets because they claim to have divine teaching. They claim to have divine authority. But each time that we see this, this word used, pseudo, it's the Greek word for a lie. And so they're not actually prophets at all. It's just like, I, you know, I can impersonate a doctor and say, look, I'm a doctor. I can wear a doctor's coat and, uh, uh, you know, have all the gadgets and everything. And you guys, but Matt, you're not a doctor, you're a pastor. And so you can say anything that you want to be. You can claim to have this thing, but with the word, the Greek here word is a lie. John Stott, he says, the history of the Christian church has been a long and dreary story of controversy with false teachers. Their value in the overruling province of God is that they have presented the church with a challenge to think out and define the truth, but they have caused much damage. I feel there are, I fear there are still many in today's church. And so in telling us to beware of false prophets, we see that Jesus made another assumption, that there's such a thing as objective truth. Now, our society today, our culture today, especially in our city, doesn't want us to believe there's such a thing as objective truth. You do you, I do me. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Whatever's true for me is true for me. Well, that's not what Jesus assumes here. Jesus assumes that there's a standard for objective truth from which the falsehood of false prophets is to be distinguished. And so how can it be false prophets if truth is just relevant to you and whatever you want it to be? That's not such a thing. And so we see that in biblical days, a prophet was one who taught the truth by divine inspiration. And a false prophet is one who claimed that same divine inspiration, but they actually propagated untruth. Jeremiah, the prophet, contrasted it in these terms. He said, false prophets speak of the visions of their own mind. Okay, and we see this a lot today. I had this vision. I had this, I had this dream. I'm not saying God doesn't use vision and dream. I think he does. But you have to take those vision and dreams and inspect them with Scripture. And so if it's something far off, if it's something, some kind of new revelation, that's when you got to really, really concerned, kind of throw the red flags up and say, wait a minute, this is contrary or adding to or taking away from what Scripture says. And, and Jeremiah said, while true prophets stand in the counsel of the Lord, they will hear his word, they will proclaim it to people, and they will speak from the mouth of the Lord. That's why we preach and teach the Bible at Sojourn Church. That's why we go verse by verse. That's why we go... Paragraph by paragraph, chunk by chunk, because I don't want you guys to ever hear Matt's word. Okay, you'll hear some of my thoughts, you'll hear some of my opinions, but I want us to study the Lord's word, not Matt's word or somebody else's word. Think of it this way. A false prophet is one who stands between God and God's people false, falsefully and deceitfully. These are the ones who claim to be speaking for God, but they're not truly appointed by God at all. These are the ones who actually fail to follow Jesus. They're following their own path and their own way and kind of sprinkling scripture on it, kind of sprinkling words that sound similar to maybe what we believe. I mean, think about the Mormons. Think about Jehovah's Witnesses. This is false teaching. Some of their, some of their teachings very moral. Some of it as Christians, we go, man, that, that sounds great. And, we can, and there's things that we come to come in agreement with. That's a reason, that's, that's a difference between us. That's a distinction between us. That, that they are on that path towards destruction that Jesus taught about last time we gathered. Not on the path to life. And so they fail to actually follow Jesus. I think many of us are naive when it comes to false prophets. Here's what I mean by that. And I include myself in this category. We think they'll, that they'll be really easy to spot. We hear false prophets and we think they're going to have horns coming out of their head or that they'll just be wearing a sign that says, I am a false prophet. Or we think that their teaching will be really, really weird and kind of far out there that we'll be able to sniff it right away and kind of spot it. But here's the thing. 
False prophets are more accurately described this way. They more accurately, they will use Bible verses. The same Bible verses that we're using. False prophets will often use Jesus' name. In fact, there's parts of false teaching that in our humanity, in our flesh, in our sinfulness, that we want to believe, that we want to be true. It's these parts of scripture that, you know, we all have those. We all have areas that we kind of struggle with. So God, this is really hard for me to swallow. But I know this is what your word says. And so we'll hear a false teaching. We'll hear a false prophet. And it'll be contrary to that thing that we struggle with in scripture. And we'll say, man, I really want that to be true. And so, man, I'm going to kind of follow this leader. I'm going to kind of follow this path. I'm going to kind of stray away from what the Bible actually says because that makes me more comfortable because that's what I want to believe. And so all of us are prone to actually struggle with this and actually want to believe false teaching and false prophets. So those are Jesus' assumptions. Second, we see Jesus' warning to us. So after noting the assumptions of Jesus, that there are false prophets and there's truth from which we must deviate, we must now consider the warning more precisely. Back in verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly are ravenous wolves. And so we learn from this metaphor that these false prophets are both dangerous and deceptive. We're told that their danger is a reality, that they are wolves, and that they'll come into our midst, and that they'll want to destroy us. I want to be very careful saying this, but even in our short and brief history, over the few years that my family has lived here, I feel at times that we've had a, a wolf pup, I would say, in our midst. And that they, they came in and they desired to destroy what it is that God was doing, what God was building here in his church at Sojourn. Now the context helps us here. In the first century in Palestine, the wolf was the natural enemy of the sheep. And you've got sheep out in, a, out in a field, out, you know, there's a flock of them and a wolf would come in because they're vulnerable. They're, they're weak when you put them up against a, a wolf. They're defenseless against a wolf. So a good shepherd, as Jesus would later teach us, was always on the lookout for wolves, taking care of his sheep, trying to protect the sheep. Whereas the hired hand, not being the owner of the sheep, would abandon the sheep at the sight of a wolf to protect himself, leaving it to be attacked and scattered the flock. And so in a very real way, what, that's, what this teaching means for me, as your pastor, as your shepherd, is I have a job to be looking out for wolves to protect you, to help guard the flock. And so there's times that there might be a wolf in our midst that hopefully I'm keen and aware of that we might say, we need to remove this, this wolf, this this false prophet, this false teacher, this, this person wants to come in and destroy what it is that God is doing. Now you might be thinking, what's the big deal? People have different opinions. Are, so what? Their teaching might be a little bit different, a little bit off. What's the big deal? You might be thinking, Matt, what made or makes false prophets dangerous to the church? Isn't it just someone's opinion? Isn't it just your opinion? So one of the major characteristics of the Old Testament false prophets is their denial that God was the God of judgment as well as the God of steadfast love and mercy. And they were guilty, Jeremiah, the prophet said to the people, of filling you with vain hopes that they say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you all. In other words, they were saying, live however you want. Our culture in the U.S. now, our city loves false prophets. This makes it where it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you live. And so, these false prophets of the Old Testament they say, it shall be well with you. And everyone who follows his own heart, that no evil shall come upon you. That there is no destruction. There is no judgment for you. But this isn't what scripture teaches. We talked about this a little bit recently at Sojourn on, on the, uh, the idea of heaven and hell and separation from God. 
And some of us, man, that's really, it makes me uncomfortable. Like there's parts that, man, is that really true? Is that not? But we can't go on our word. We can't go on our feelings. We have to go to God's word and say, there's things that I may not even like as a Christ follower. There's things I may not agree with as a Christ follower. There's things that might make me uncomfortable. There's things I might struggle with. But it can't be based on my feelings. It can't be based on my word. It has to be based on God's word. And so the big picture when it comes to uh, areas you struggle with, areas of sin, whatever it may be, areas of identity, that we say, even though I'm over here and scripture's over here, am I going to submit myself to the authority of God and his word and say, even though I want to be like this and I want to live in this way, I'm going to live this way in submission to you, God, and to your word. John Stott, again, he said, it's surely not an accident, therefore, that Jesus' warning about false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount immediately follows his teaching about the two gates, the two ways, the two crowds, and the two destinations. And so we see that false prophets, they're, they're known for blurring the issue of salvation. And they do it in a couple of ways. Some false prophets distort the gospel and they'll make it legalistic. They make it so hard for seekers to find the narrow gate. They make it, we have to do all of these things. You know, it's called legalism, that you have to check off a, a, a list of things. You have to pull up your bootstraps and it's all about you. But man, you're never gonna attain to be good enough. Right? This sounds more like Islam to me. You know, when I, when I talk to, Muslims over uh, in South Asia, when we were working over there, it was always like, well, how do you know that, that you know, if you die, you're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with God? And like, well, I don't. I just hope that I'm good enough. I said, man, that, that sounds horrible. That sounds like a nightmare because you'll never be good enough. And so we see that there's even people under the Christian banner who will teach that you have to be a certain way, that you have to pull up your bootstraps and check off all the, all the lists and, list and uh, dot all your I's and cross all your T's and that you still aren't sure. They still don't know if you'll tame to it. And others try to make out that the narrow gate is actually broad. It's, it's so wide and open that it will require very little, that you don't even have to submit to, to Jesus in any form of shape or way. That's just completely wide open. And others, perhaps the most dangerous of all, they'll, they'll dare to actually contradict Jesus himself. And they'll say that the, the broad road, it doesn't lead to destruction. I mean, Jesus said it leads to destruction, but it doesn't actually lead to destruction. And that the even the broad and narrow roads, although they lead in opposite directions, that they ultimately both end in life. You know, we, we hear this teaching a lot today about other faiths, other religions, other ways of thinking. Well, they all lead the same way, right? They, uh, they all ultimately lead to whatever you want to call God and eternity and heaven, right? That they all lead to that. But this isn't what scripture teaches. Guys, sometimes that sounds really, really good. You know, you're talking to a friend who you love, who, who's a great individual, great person, but maybe they identify with Buddhism or or Islam, or Hinduism, or, or a known, or an atheist, or something in between. And you go, man, there's no way that their life can end in destruction. But it's not for us to decide. And so that's why we have to declare the truth to them. Because that sounds really, really good in some ways. Yeah, believe that. Live upstanding in a moral life. And sure, every path, it doesn't really matter that we all ultimately end it this way. You do Christianity, I'll do this over here. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we are to declare the truth and that there's two ways. There's only two ways. And one way leads to life, and one way leads to destruction. And so are these not the same teachings that we deal with today? Are these not the same realities that we're faced with day in and day out here in 2021? Now, Jesus himself, just in the, in the sermon for this, once again, he said we have to choose between life and destruction. And so what makes these teachers so dangerous? Because once again, you might go, what's the big deal, Matt? Well, what's the big deal? Is that it makes it so dangerous because they're teaching contrary to Jesus. And it is a matter of life and destruction. This is, this is varsity league here, guys. We're not just 
you know, we're not, not just playing with a, a bunch of kids' toys and kind of going, ah, it doesn't matter. You know, we're just kind of figuring that's like, no, Jesus made it pretty clear that, that, there's, that there's two paths. And so why it's so dangerous, these false prophets, is they're leading people to a path of destruction. Okay, if you were on a highway, one of our bridges here in the city, and you saw that there was, that the bridge just ended and the bridge, you were just gonna drive off. And, and when you drive off, you're just gonna plummet to your death. You would do everything you could to stop people Say, stop, you know, pull the school bus over. It's got kids in it. You wouldn't go, well, you know what? They want to take that path. Just let them take it. It'll be fine. No, they're headed towards destruction. So that's why these false prophets are so dangerous. They're leading people astray. They're leading people away from the truth. But the Bible tells us false prophets are more than dangerous. False prophets are also deceptive. You know, false prophets claim to be and look like Christians a lot of times. They're not atheists. They're not, they're not, uh, from other religions. I think a lot of times we think false prophets, once again, they're going to have horns come out of their heads or a sign on their head that says they're a false prophet. Or you think, well, they'll come in the form of an atheist or a devil worshiper or a Buddhist. Or, like, no, false prophets appear like Christians. Okay, they use the same lingo. They use the same clothing. And at first glance, you would assume even, man, they, they are Christian. They might know how to pray. Maybe they know how to serve. Maybe they know how to attend church faithfully. And they even appear as sheep. They don't necessarily stand out the way that we would think they would stand out. And the most dangerous of false prophets are very likable people. I think when we think about false prophets, we think, man, they're going to become kind of weirdo, kind of some kind of a nut job, a wacko, right? And we've all met those people. Or you look at documentaries. I love watching documentaries on cults and, and just the, the things. And as we watch it, you know, as an audience member, you're sitting there going, how did they not see this? Well, you think about the cult Wild Wild Country that took place here in Oregon. If you haven't watched that, go watch that on Netflix. Very, very interesting. I think about the, the cult in Waco, Texas. And so you sit there and watch and go, how did these people not see this? How were they so blind to this? But, and so I think all times we think, man, they're going to be kind of weird. It's going to be, be so different and so far out there. But that's not the case. Most false prophets are very, very likable people. They're, they're really, the most dangerous ones are winsome. They're funny, great communicators. They're warm, they're nice, they're likable people. They're the kind of person you want to hang out with on the weekend. So don't think you can spot them on personality alone. They're often very gifted communicators. And so Jesus comes in and Jesus says, beware. If they were easy to spot, I think Jesus would say, hey, look, they're gonna be really easy to spot. They're gonna look like this. They're gonna say these things. You'll spot them. No, Jesus says, beware, warning. And so he says, you must be on our guard. We must pray for discernment. We must use our critical faculties and never relax our vigilance. Think about it. False prophets would not be dangerous if nothing they were saying was enticing, if they were saying things that, that were just really easy to spot, the things that didn't lure us in and wouldn't be dangerous at all. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, be on guard, be aware, because the teaching they're going to give you is going to be very enticing to you. You're going to want to believe the teaching that they are presenting to you. That's why I always want us at Sojourn Church, my teaching, a guest preacher, whoever it is, that we take that and we, 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 we uh, look at it and compare it to Scripture. And so if I ever teach something contrary to Scripture, if I ever teach something that's contrary to God's Word, I want you guys to call me out. You have my permission to do that. 2 Timothy 4.2-4 says this. It says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, is that not the day that we live in right now? 
Is that not the day that we live in when, when people, people don't want to endure sound teaching? That people have itching ears to accumulate for themselves the teachers to suit their own passions. Look, if, if as we stay faithful to God's text and, and biblically preach, Word, verse by verse, word by word here at Sojourn Church. If that makes you uncomfortable, you know you can easily just go find another church. You can easily go and say, man, that made me really uncomfortable. Once again, not Matt's word. There's things that I'm gonna preach teach that make me uncomfortable. It's not my word, but God's word. So you can, you know, I'm gonna find somewhere else. I'm gonna go find a group. They exist. They're in our city. And it says that people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And we fool ourselves, church, if we think that we're not prone in some area as well. It may be different for you. It may be different for me that we're all prone. And we fool ourselves if we think we aren't to listen and to, to wander off into some type of false teaching. False prophets look at the power that displays a sign they've been faithful. And here's the hard part for most of us. This is the hardest part, I think, for us as individuals. We'll hear a false teaching. We'll even recognize it or a false teacher. But here's the mentality. But that teaching helped and changed my life. That teaching, I was going through a hard season. And it just helped, helped me. It helped change my life. And so then you think, well, who, so who are we to question it? Yeah, it's different than Scripture. It's different than God's Word, but it really helped me. But here's the thing. This is what Jesus teaches. We don't assess these teachings by our feelings. We don't assess these teaching by if it helps people. We don't assess teaching by its popularity. We assess teaching by its produced fruit, which leads us to our third thing that Jesus gives us here. Jesus gives us his test. Having noted the assumptions that Jesus made and the warnings that he gives us, we now look at the test he told us to apply when we come across a teaching or a teacher. Now what we see is he actually changes his metaphor here at the, uh, at the very uh, end of this passage from sheep and wolves to trees and fruit and from the sheep's clothing which a wolf may wear into a fruit which a tree must bear. And so what Jesus is doing is he's moving from a risk of non-recognition to a means of recognition. Because he says with the, with the wolf, they look like sheep and hard to recognize. But with the tree, it's, it's pretty easy to spot that a tree's producing fruit or it's not producing fruit. And so a wolf may disguise itself, a tree cannot. And not only is the character of the fruit determined by the tree, in other words, he says a fig tree bearing figs and a vine will bear grapes, but it's conditioned too. It says in verse 17, every sound tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears evil fruit. And then we see indeed, uh, verse 18, a sound tree cannot bear evil fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. And then we see that the day of judgment will finalize the difference in verse 19 is when non-fruit-bearing trees are cut down and burnt. And then in verses, verse 20 and also back in 16. Therefore, for this conclusion, which Jesus emphasized twice, you will know them by their fruits. And so Jesus gives us this test. Jesus offers us a method of detection. He doesn't just give us the assumptions. He doesn't just give us the warnings. He actually says, Here's a test to help you determine a method of detection for between truth and false. And so the fruit inspection reveals a true character. But that leads us to the question, what are these fruits? What, are, what exactly are we looking for? First, we're looking at one's character and one's conduct. And so meekness and gentleness of Christ, one's love, one's patience, one's kindness, one's goodness, one's self-control. And so we see these things, which are known as the fruit of the Spirit. If they're exhibited, then we have reason to believe that these are to be true, not false. And so we see the fruit is obedience to God's word, and that is the proof. Now, when the, these qualities are missing, when the fruit of the Spirit is not evident in one's life, and what, what is more prevalent and more prone is the, the works of the flesh. And so when we see that there's, they're known by enmity and impurity and jealousy and self-indulgence, well, that should give us a reason to, to, to caution, to say, after uh, inspecting and looking for the fruit, this prophet seems like they're an imposter. 
regardless of the claims, regardless of how special their teaching seems, because we see it's contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. The second test is one's teaching. Matthew 12, verses 34 and 36. It says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Now, I want to think about the Protestant Reformation, where the reformers were accused by the Church of Rome, the, the Catholic Church, for being innovators and false teachers. And I can, in some ways, I can understand on, on a first look that, man, it might seem that way. And they actually defended themselves through a doctrinal test, though. What the reformers did, and this is where we get Protestant churches, which we are, the reformers appealed directly to Scripture. They did what we want to do at Sojourn. Therefore, their, their teaching was not introducing some kind of new teaching. Rather, they were recovering something that was old, the original gospel of Jesus, which the Catholic Church had gotten away from, and they were adding to. So in actuality, it was the Catholics, the Rome, Church of Rome, who had departed from faith and gone into error. Martin Luther, he said, cling to the pure word of God, for then you'll be able to recognize the judge who is right. John Calvin said, all doctrines must be brought to the word of God as the standard for judging false prophets. Scripture holds the chief place. And then the third test that Jesus gives us is influence. What influence is their teaching having on their church? What influence is their teaching having on the greater body of Christ? You know, a lot of times we get someone's teaching and, it, and it's, it's very compelling, very charismatic, and you'll see it blow up. And what I mean by that is it's not only influencing their church, it's influencing churches everywhere. I think a lot of times we see this with music. That's another whole sermon for another day. And what songs can we sing and not sing? And should we sing songs from certain times of churches that, that actually are teaching some false teaching? And so we have to be careful with the lyrics that we sing oftentimes of songs because those are the ones I think we kind of passively go, but man, the song's good. I love the tune. Why not sing it? And so the, you know, a lot of times you see these different worship groups have a great influence on the church nationally. And part of this influence, we have to ask ourselves, is it cancerous? In other words, is it something that appears mostly right and it's just a little bit off? I think that's why we make excuses. Well, it's mostly right, but this part's just off a little bit. But that's like a, a small cancerous tumor that's somewhere in your body. And you go, well, it's only the size of a pebble. And it's, you know, it's, it's somewhere inside. I don't think it'd be a big deal. And then it grows in the size of a boulder. And then it grows and it grows. And eventually it destroys your entire body. And the same thing can happen in a church. You can allow a false teacher to come in. You can allow a false teaching to come in. And you go, you know what? It's just one little thing. Everything else we're in alignment with scripture and God's word. This is just a one little thing. We'll just kind of ignore it and brush it off. And eventually that'll grow and influence more people. And eventually see the church implode from within. And you would go, what happened? We didn't, we weren't on our guard. We didn't recognize the influence that this small little teaching was having that it grew to take over the entire body of Christ. In some ways, it's quite a simple teaching that Jesus gives here at the end. Good trees produce good fruit. Makes sense? Bad trees produce bad fruit. So in other words, what comes, out on, what comes out on the outside is what's going on down on the inside. Fruit reveals the character of the teacher and what is going on on the inside. You know, we see this idea of ravenous wolves. They can put on some beautiful and impressive looking wool clothing. And you'll go, that looks like a sheep. I think maybe they're a sheep. But eventually the wolf will come out and bite you. And we'll see who he really is. And what is on the inside will eventually come out of these teachers. They are not self-deceived, but they're constantly disguising who it is they are and that they will really be revealed by their fruit, as Jesus tells us. Now, let's just say that a tree could talk. 
and it has oranges everywhere. And it comes to you and says, yes, it's been a really tough season, but I'm an apple tree. And you think, hey, it looks like oranges are everywhere. But they're saying they're an apple tree. So you decide to taste one. And you're like, nope, they're still oranges. And so someone telling you what they are does not mean they're actually that. Someone telling you how they assess themselves doesn't mean they've assessed themselves accurately. You'll know what's on the branch. That's how you'll assess them. That's how you'll assess if it's good or not good. False prophets will downplay sin. False prophets will downplay the view of God's view of sin. Jeremiah 23, 16. says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Do not listen to the words of prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And so we'll see that false prophets, they use God's love and God's grace to justify sin. They'll say, it's okay to live this way because God's covering you. And once again, it's partial truth. And you hear it and you go, man, that, that sounds accurate. That sounds right. And false teachers feel very freeing when they lessen, they lessen the demands of Christ in our lives and they lessen the death of Christ, which we see that happening more and more. I saw this in past Easter. People questioning the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and saying, Jesus didn't actually have to die or Jesus didn't actually, and, and going, what does it matter? What matters? Because it's what all of Christianity hinges on that. That's why it matters. But we, it's becoming more and more popular, more and more prevalent to say, that, that didn't exist. So that doesn't matter if it actually, it actually does really matter if it exists or not. And so we must be careful and mindful not to add to God's word, not to take away from God's word. You know, there's people throughout history have done that. They've literally ripped pages of, of uh, books of the Bible out or entire books out and said, everything else is good. But we don't have that option. We don't have that freedom if we're gonna follow Jesus and follow Jesus faithfully. That journey that we're inviting every single person, every man, woman, child on at the Sojourn Church. And the best way to know what is false, the best way to recognize false teaching, do you know what it is? It's not to go and study false teaching. The best way to know what is false and study to know what, to recognize false teaching is by knowing what is true. And so by studying God's word, studying scripture, that's why we wanna be people who love God's word here. That's why I think it was a year and a half ago, sometime before the pandemic, our tables, our discipleship groups read through the entire New Testament together over a 12 week period. I want us to do those things. I want us to know the truth. I want us to recognize the truth so that when we come across something false, it's really easy for us to recognize it. It's really easy for us to go, that is not accurate. That is not in line with God's word. And so this week we've looked at the deceived. Next week, I hope you'll join us. We'll pick up in the deceiver. And what we'll see next week is he goes further to say that not everyone who claims Jesus is actually following Jesus. And we'll see that it says, Lord, 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 everyone who says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And so we're going to see this, this group of people who claim to prophesy in Jesus' name and heal in Jesus' name and teach in Jesus' name. And in the end, the Father, our Father in heaven will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So this is a very hard teaching. I recognize that. But stick with me. So we've looked at the, the deceiver, and next week we're going to look at the deceived, and that we can tie these two together. And so let me finish for um, this week by praying for us, and then we will finish our time together. God, we looked at a very Hard truth in many ways this week, and even harder next week. God, we're all prone to believe false teaching. We're prone to believe false teachers. And so God, may we be people who are discerning of your word. May we be people who are discerning of your truth. God, may we be people who are discerning of your doctrine. God, that we'll know your truth in and out in such a way that even at the sniff of false teaching or false teacher, that we will recognize it. God, that we won't just go with the popular things that our culture, even our church culture is going with. 
but God, that we will be known as people of truth. And God, that you will know us by our fruit. God, that Sojourn Church will be known as a church made up of, yes, ordinary people who love you in the context of family. But God, we'll be known as people who are full of fruit. God, not fruit that that we produced ourselves. God, not, not the shiny manufactured fake apple on the our dining room tables, but God, fruit that comes from within, from your spirit working within us. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are and for producing that fruit in our lives. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.